We thank you, Father, that in the world that we live in today, in all the trials, the struggles, the difficulties, that you have made the provision. That there is an answer, there is hope. We thank you that you have revealed those answers and that hope in your word. We pray that you would help us to find it as we study it together this morning. For your glory, we praise in Jesus' name. Amen. I know that this is not a pleasant subject to think about, but what if we were at war? What if we were at war right here in our own country? The war was coming to our own neighborhood. What if things were pretty serious? Every able body was needed to battle the invaders. Suppose you were given charge over a small company of troops, some of your neighbors. The enemy is on the move. And it's up to you to help protect the innocent people around you. What would you say to your troops to help them to be ready? What would you tell them? Well, as uncomfortable of a subject as that, as that is, it's actually more realistic than we probably realize. The Bible tells us we are at war. In the book of Ephesians, as Paul is just getting ready to close the letter, he says to them in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God. Hey, think about what that's telling us. The serious battle that we are facing. That we need to have on the full armor of God. So that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. It tells us the nature of our conflict. So we can stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Contrary to the way it may appear, the battle is not, first and foremost, is not against man. It is against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. When is the evil day? It's today, isn't it? We're in it. There is a war. And if you look around at what's going on in the world, in society, what's happening around us, and you look, if you look at it biblically, 
you can see the war is raging. Now, if we look around and we don't see all that much, if it doesn't look that serious, it doesn't look that bad, we're not thinking biblically. Now, if you think again in those verses in Ephesians chapter 6, I'm pretty sure none of us know just how serious the situation is. He says this, this war is happening in realms that we don't see, that we don't understand. But we know through Scripture that it's there. It's happening. It's affecting us. And the closer we get to the end, the more fierce the battles become. Now, if you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are in Christ, you put your trust in Jesus Christ alone, and He is your Lord, your Savior, Satan and all of his forces are against you. They're using any resources they have available to them, which includes the world system, the society around us. That Satan has control over. They want you to fail. They want you to be ineffective. They want you to come back over to their side. They want to oppose Jesus Christ. The only way they can get to Him is through us. That's why James says in chapter 4, verse 4, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. How does that sound? Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. What does that tell us about the world? What does that tell us about how we should see the world? What our relationship should be with the world? Pretty serious things we see in these verses. As we've been studying in 1 Corinthians, we've seen that the church in Corinth was awfully friendly with the world. And it showed in what was going on in that church. This whole letter of 1 Corinthians has been one correction after another of things that they were believing wrong, things they were doing wrong, Because they didn't realize they were at war. They were lazy about the truth. They were lazy about spiritual things. They didn't take seriously the things that matter, the eternal things, the spiritual things. And because they were lazy about all of those things, then the ideas of the world were infiltrating the church. They were worldly. I came across an article just yesterday. It was talking about what the, the biggest problem facing the evangelical church is today. And this was this article was talking specifically about in England. It's actually the same problem here. He said it's our own personal comfort. The biggest problem facing the evangelical church today is our own personal comfort. Because we want it. We want to be comfortable. 
We, we make a lot of decisions in our everyday life and about our service for the Lord, our service for each other, based on our personal comfort, don't we? If we're being honest, don't we make a lot of decisions based on our comfort? What will please me? What will make me happy? What won't be too hard for me? How does that fit with Scripture? How does that fit with this idea of knowing from Scripture that we're at war? The church in Corinth had that same problem. Their number one priority was comfort. So, near the end of this letter to that church in Corinth, Paul fires off some commands, verses 13 and 14 of chapter 16. Pretty abrupt. Quite a change from where we were. And that's intentional. This is supposed to get your attention. Now, in some ways, these commands in these verses are a summary of everything else in the book. If you want to give a brief overview of the book of 1 Corinthians, you skip right to chapter 16, verses 13 and 14. It kind of covers everything else. In some ways, this is also their wake-up call. Their call to get ready, to arm themselves, to be prepared for this war. This is what it's going to take. Now, there are four commands in verse 13. And these commands are just like what you would have heard if you were a soldier, the first century military Not too much different probably from what you may hear from someone who is a captain over you in the military today. To get ready for battle. First command in verse 13. Be on the alert. This verse is actually pretty interesting to look at in Greek. Because it's basically just four one word commands. Imagine a. Uh, somebody over his troops barking out these orders. One word. Four commands, each one word. With the exception of the second command that has a one word command plus in the face. This first one maybe be read more like, wake up! That's two words, but I don't know of one word that would make as much sense. That's right. Thank you, Bethany. Wake up. Pay attention. This is urgent. Get ready. Look around. See what's going on. There's a war to fight. You can't do it in your sleep. Consider the words of Peter in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Same word there. Be on the alert. Why? Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. How serious does that sound? Do you think Satan is taking it easy? Do you think he's concerned for his comfort? And doing 
what comes easy for him? I guarantee you he's not. He's prowling like a lion. He's serious about this. He knows his time is short. His theology is better than ours. He knows what's coming. So you better believe he's busy. Now what would he find if he comes across you? He's prowling around like a lion. If he comes across you, will he find some easy sleeping prey? What will he find? Also keep in mind he's not working alone. He's not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere. But he's got a lot of help. And we find in the Bible that a, a third of the angels fell with him when he fell. We don't know how many that is, but it's a lot. He also has the world on his side. That's a lot. We need to wake up. Now, keep it in the right perspective. He can't take you away from Christ. There's nothing, no one, no how that can take you out of God's hand if you are in it through Christ. But what he wants for you is for you to be ineffective. He wants to keep you out of his business. He wants to limit your usefulness as much as he possibly can. He wants to keep you from doing the job you've been given to do. You remember what that job is? Chapter 15, verse 58. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. It's the same thing we saw in Sunday school this morning. That priority, that number one priority. Serving the Lord. That's your job as a Christian. And that's the thing that Satan wants to keep you from accomplishing. He wants you to stumble and sin. He wants you to be selfish. He wants to keep the church fights going like they were in Corinth. Because that is a great way of keeping Christians busy and not getting into his business. So, this command from Paul, wake up. Realize what's going on. This world is not for us. The society is not here to help us to be the Christians that God wants us to be. Now, maybe that's becoming more obvious as the world seems to be getting bolder in its opposition. But we might still be putting a pretty high premium on comfort, on our rest, our ease. We need to wake up. Back in chapter 15, there are two more reasons in that chapter why we need to wake up. We saw in verses 33 and 34, he says, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Become sober-minded. Same idea. Wake up. Be sober-minded as you ought. And stop sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. And what we saw there when we studied those verses was that we need to be careful about who we listen to and who we let influence us. A 
someone who doesn't know God cannot give any real insight into spiritual things, into real truth. Someone who does not know God cannot understand what truth is. So, wake up. Think about what you bring into your mind through the things you read. Books on the internet. Think about what you're bringing into your mind from who you're listening to. What you're watching on television. The, The majority of what is available to read, to listen to, to watch, is put out by people who don't know God. And their intention is not to help you be the Christian you should be. They're following Satan. Just as we did before coming to Christ. They're working for Him. They may not realize it, but they're working with Satan. And He is opposing you. He doesn't want you to be the Christian that God wants you to be. So be careful. Wake up. Think about what you're letting influence you. Bringing into your mind. The other area we find in chapter 15 of why we need to be watchful has to do with the return of Christ. We're reminded of that uh, from the resurrection of the dead. We talked about how at the last trumpet, that could happen today. At any time. We need to be watchful. Be ready for the return of Christ. Paul said in Romans chapter 13, verses 11 to 14, Do this knowing the time that is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone. The day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh in regards to us lusts. Wake up. Think about what time it is. It's close. We don't have much time left. We can't afford to be ignorant. We can't afford to not pay attention to what's going on. We need to wake up. Second command, 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Stand firm in the faith. Stand firm. So important. Stand firm in the faith. And what we have seen so far in 1 Corinthians, it seems that they were ready to stand firm on opinions and preferences. Those are things they were ready to fight you on. But the faith, meaning the gospel, the doctrine of our Lord Jesus Christ, Scripture, they didn't want to be too dogmatic on those things. In Acts chapter 20, verse 30, Paul warned the elders of the church in Ephesus, that men would arise from among them, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Men from among them, on the inside, 
would begin teaching false doctrine. So there's a war from the outside wanting to defeat you. They're going to infiltrate. There will be some from the inside. You've got to be standing firm in the faith. You've got to know the truth. You've got to stand on it so you will not be moved. In the church in Corinth, because of their unbending stance on their opinions and preferences, they had made their brothers into the enemy. The ones who were in the faith with them, they became the enemy. We've seen that some took sides against Paul because they liked Apollos better. Paul wasn't the enemy that they needed to watch out for. Some took sides against Apollos because they liked Paul better. Apollos wasn't the enemy. Paul had to warn them, as we saw last week, to not give Timothy any cause to be afraid when he came to them. Verse 10. It's an awful thing to have to say to a church. That should be obvious. Timothy wasn't trying to defeat them. He was on their side. Their brothers that they were taking to court in chapter 6. They weren't the enemy. The ones that they stepped all over to be able to take part in what they thought was their liberty. Chapters 8 and 9. All that about eating meat that had been sacrificed to idols. They weren't going to let anybody stop them. Even the people in the church who were stumbling because they were doing it. They thought it was wrong. They thought it was sin. They weren't the enemy. The ones who were in a different economic class. They had a hard time worshiping together with chapter 11. When they came together to eat together and the, the rich could get there sooner and They were full and drunk, and the poor who came later, there was nothing left. Paul gave such a simple solution to that problem. Wait for each other. The poor are not the enemy. A different economic class in the church doesn't make someone the enemy. They fought and bickered about so many things with people who were on the same side. When it came to standing firm in the faith, well, they didn't have time for that. They weren't interested. We saw back in chapter 1 that they were impressed by the world's wisdom. They didn't have time for God's stuff. They had to stand firm in the faith. Once again in Ephesians, Paul is writing about the importance of Spiritual gifts. We've seen that in 1 Corinthians. We've all been given spiritual gifts. If you are in Christ, we're to use them. There in Ephesians, he talks about how God gave some of the apostles and some of his prophets and his pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints so that everyone would be ready to do the work of ministry. And here, here is the result of that. If everyone is using their spiritual gifts, listen to the result. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 13 through 15, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith. If everyone in the body is using their gifts, serving each other. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith. 
and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, remember, here's what happens when everyone in the body is using their spiritual gifts, serving each other. As a result, we will no longer be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. How, how do we stand firm in the faith? We've got to know the faith. We study it. Study God's word. And we help each other. Making disciples. Discipling each other. Using our spiritual gifts to serve each other. So we can be firm together in the faith. And in Corinth, instead of the body of Christ fighting each other, they should have been serving each other. That would have been the answer. So everyone is maturing in our understanding of truth. Built up and encouraged together. So when the false doctrine comes, when the opposition comes from the outside, we will not be moved. Stand firm. That thought carries into the next command. Chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians, verse 13. Act like men. Act like men. There again, it's a a one-word command in Greek. Direct and to the point, man up. Man up. I found that that's not a politically correct thing to say in our society. It's not inclusive enough. It might make someone feel bad. If you are in the thick of battle, you'd be more concerned about what's right than how everybody feels about something. Paul says to everyone in the body of Christ, men and women, man up. I've read that in the culture of Corinth, it was very much like what our culture is becoming. It was very feminist and effeminate at the same time. That the women wanted to take man's place. The men were encouraged to be more like women. But Paul says to everyone, in the church, when it comes to these spiritual matters, all of you need to man up. You heard when Jim read from the New King James, translated there, be courageous. Have courage. That's part of what that word means there. Be a man. Now, if they were being alert... And if they stood firm in the faith, it was pretty much guaranteed that they would gain a lot of adversaries. Like Paul had in Ephesus that he told us about back in verse 9. Paul had a lot of adversaries because he was doing the right thing. If you are doing the right thing, you will become a problem for Satan and he will oppose you. 
he and those who are on his side helping his cause will become more active in trying to stop you. So if they were alert and stood firm in the faith, they were going to need some courage to not be moved when it gets hard. Act like men. Another thing that's involved in that command to act like men is that we need to grow up. We saw that several times in this letter that the people in the church in Corinth were acting like little kids. He says to them several times, you need to grow up. He's saying that here again. Grow up. Sometimes the impression is given that to be manly means to be rough and cruel and not care about anybody but yourself. Kids can do that. Kids do that until they're taught not to. A much better example of what it means to be a man comes from the perfect example of the perfect man, Jesus Christ. Consider the example we're given in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21-25. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin nor is any de- deceit found in his mouth, And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed, for you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your soul. You hear what that's saying? It takes to be a real man. That's, that's what a real man does and is. To do the right thing and keep trusting God no matter how hard things get. Jesus wasn't selfish. What we read in those verses, we find that he cared about other people. He cared about us. And personally suffered for the good of others. That's what it means to be a man. Not be selfish. Be willing to suffer. If it means being able to do some good for somebody else. Last command, verse 13. Be strong. Obviously he's not talking about pumping iron and drinking protein shakes. How can we be spiritually strong? How can we be strong in the areas that matter for eternity? Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It's Christ that strengthens us. In the ways that matter. As we grow in a relationship with him. The more we get to know him. The deeper our relationships get, relationship gets with Christ. The more we depend on him. Trust him more. That's how we grow in strength. That's how we become strong. 
Paul said it was through that strength that he had in Christ. He could do all things. In the context there, means he could suffer. He could suffer through and be content with having nothing. He had the strength he could do it through Christ. Once again, we have the example of Jesus. What it means to be strong. Jesus was the most powerful individual who ever walked this earth. That night when he was just about to be arrested, Peter thought he was going to be able to help him. Jesus said that he had 12 legions of angels at his disposal. He wouldn't have even needed them. He could have taken care of it himself. He could defeat any earthly power that he wanted to with a word. And yet he let himself be arrested. He let himself be accused like we saw in those verses in 1 Peter. He stood there silently. He let it happen. He was led to the cross. He was nailed to the cross. He died there. And he did that for us. That is a display of strength. He used his strength for others, not for himself. That's what it means to be strong. And that's exactly how it's supposed to be as we see in this context because of verse 14. Let all that you do be done in love. This is a command that is to cover every part of your life. Let all that you do be done in love. This is the context that we are to understand all the commands of verse 13. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong out of love for those around you. Be those things because it will benefit those around you. Several times we have come across different things in the letter of 1 Corinthians that if that one thing had been different in the church in Corinth, it would have made all the difference. Now, this is definitely one of those one things. Love. Out of all of those important things that we have seen, I don't know if I could say this is number one, but maybe it is. Maybe I could say that. It is very important. So important. If we have real Biblical agape love is patterned after the love that is shown to us through Jesus Christ, what he suffered for us on that cross. It affects everything about us. The things we say, the things we do, the ways we serve, how we spend our time. If we have real biblical agape love, it will change all of that. I think the main thing we see here in verse 14 is don't forget chapter 13. Never forget chapter 13. If you haven't memorized verses 4 through 7 of chapter 13 like you were supposed to back when we were in chapter 13, I encourage you to do that now. Get started on that. Read chapter 13 again. Read it often. When we are finished in 1 Corinthians. Keep coming back to chapter 13. Don't forget chapter 13. Peter said in 1 Peter 4.8, Above all, 
keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Let all that you do be done in love. I've mentioned chapter 13. I hope you remember what's in chapter 13. I thought it would be fitting we conclude this morning by all of us reciting or reading chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. Remind ourselves, remind each other as we all say this together of this overall command over all of life. Let all that you do be done in love. Um, I'm going to have it on the screen up here. I think there it is. So as we close, would you all please stand and read with me 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails.